0: Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport, who share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of meaningful sport. And if you want to stay up to date on future episodes, events, and new resources, you can sign up for a newsletter at MeaningfulSport.com. Today's episode is the second part of our discussions with Dr. Yunus Tunsell, focused on the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche and how it can be applied to sports. In the first part, which I recommend you to check out, we explored the key threads in Nietzsche's philosophy, including the Apollonian and Dionysian forces and their manifestation in sports. In today's episode, we continue these explorations. How can we find meaning in a world where God is dead? What and who is an overhuman? Can we identify an overhuman in sport? According to our guest, we can. Dr. Eunice Tunsell teaches philosophy at the New School, New York, and in New York University's liberal studies program. He's is a member of the International Association for the Philosophy of Sport and is co-founder of the Nietzsche Circle and a member of its editorial board of its journal, The Agonist. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I think we'll move on to uh, Nietzsche's most famous quote about God is dead and, and how that was not just related to religion, but kind of Uh, linked to more other cultural forms of life and how how those need to be re-evaluated. So maybe we'll start looking into that a little bit. So what is Nietzsche after when he's saying that God is dead?
1: Well, all right. So God, okay, it's obviously the first thing that comes to people's mind, religion, Uh, God is a supernatural principle. Uh, But uh, for Nietzsche, I think God stands for for all the highest values uh, of uh, the Western civilization, since he's been critical of his own culture, up to that point. So now we have to maybe go back and survey all of Nietzsche's writings and see uh, in what areas Nietzsche sees these so-called decadent values. So we could start. Already we spoke on one of them, the, the, the Dionysian, right? So the the excessive rationality, uh, what some people uh, later called logocentricity, it was a problem uh, and it has to be uh, devalued or it has to be overcome. So Nietzsche shows that all trotted writings, not only in the birth of tragedy, even in his last year, 1888, he is still after critiquing this excessive rationality. So uh, we could say that excessive rationality is one of those forces or values under the term God, right? But people don't really see mm-hmm. it when they uh, hear or see the word God. They don't necessarily see excessive rationality. So moving along uh, to Nietzsche's second set of writings called Untimely Meditations. Uh, we can maybe focus on one of them where Nietzsche talks about history that. Um, European culture is saturated with excessive uh, historicism, meaning we are obsessed with the historical and uh, we have forgotten the unhistorical. So he introduces new ideas, new terms uh, to his historiography, uh, his own notion of history. So uh, first we have to learn how to be unhistorical, which is to bit with forgetting. And also mm-hmm. uh, we have to uh, embrace the supra-historical. So you have three notions: the historical, the unhistorical, and the supra-historical. Uh, the historical, you know what it is. The unhistorical, let's do it forgetting, and we need that as well. And the last one, suprahistorical, is this overall vision uh, that sees all things, all things, past, present, future. In the, uh, the, the then he introduces another set of uh, concepts in the same essay called Monumental, Antiquarian, and Critical History, where the the antiquarian has to do with preserving from the past, Uh, monumental has to do with creating great works based on uh, former models, and the critical has to do with destroying a part of the past so that uh, we recreate history based on our own needs. So the the, the bottom line uh, is... Uh, we we suffer from this excessive history and we have to undo that as well. So that would be another area where you know when Nietzsche critiques values under the name God. the third area would be uh, please always you can always stop me you know, I'm moving along. Mm-hmm. The third one is the emotion emotions, emotions have a topic that I'm working on right now. Emotions. We basically we have cultivated throughout the process of being civilized. We have cultivated some very negative emotions that not only diminish the the worth of an individual, but even diminish us collectively. So, what are some of those emotions? Revenge, revengefulness, uh, reactive feelings, reaction, uh, and uh, resentment. Uh, resentment is big, by the way. Uh, uh, Nietzsche believes that resentment as an emotion has, has existed <clears throat> for millennia, but he is the first to diagnose it. So basically, he's diagnosing an emotion uh, that we had for millennia, uh, which is a problem emotion. Uh, the other one is pity. pity. Now, pity is a tough one uh, because in German, uh, "midlight," uh, light m- mid-light means to suffer with. So the the mm-hmm. now Nietzsche in, in English we have so many words we have pity we have compassion we have sympathy empathy uh, just you know already four words that I can remember right now but um, and they all mean they all they have, they have different meanings so what exactly is, what is Nietzsche's problem with this emotion mid light which seems to be a central emotion for lots of philosophers including Schopenhauer who influenced Nietzsche the early Nietzsche. So basically, why Nietzsche problematizes this emotion is because, look, human beings suffer. Suffering is inevitable. We we suffer in our own ways for different reasons. The question is, how can we relate to human beings' sufferings? Uh, In our relationship to people's sufferings, do we elevate them or are we putting them down or what? So basically, he's questioning the relationship. The way we relate to suffering, so he's not—he's not unconditionally opposed to human suffering or, or or relating to other people's suffering, but rather first how we look at human suffering, including our own, and second how we can relate the kind of relationship, the quality of relationship that we establish with the sufferings of others. So these are and these are all very good questions. Uh, so and. People have different readings, as though Nietzsche is this kind of cold philosopher that has no concern with people's sufferings. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, um, you know, uh, we need to, uh, from a Nietzschean standpoint, uh, we need to establish a more positive, uplifting relationship, not only to our own suffering, but also to those of others. Uh, I believe that's... so. Anyway, so I was going uh, through a whole list of emotions, uh, Nietzsche has many ideas from his first book all the way maybe to the last. Uh, lots of ideas on human emotions. In fact, in his uh, poetic, uh, mythopoetic book, Das Book uh Zaratustra also goes through an emotional journey uh, as well as you know, other kinds of journeys. So that would be the, the third area. Uh, so, okay, well, how does it relate to God? Well, for Nietzsche, our God is a God of pity, revenge. Uh, all these ne- what we may call negative emotions are promoted under the name of God. So that's another meaning of the dead of God, meaning now we have to go beyond mm-hmm. these emotions. Other, All right, uh, I, I may not be able to go all through the whole list. I have actually a book project. I had listed 16 areas of values that could be place on the name of god so i i don't think i'll get to 16 but i'll maybe go to one more Uh, the body uh, that was kind of what we talked about before Uh, the old system uh, god means the denial of the body uh, contempt for the body uh, what nietzsche calls aesthetic idealism Uh, that's the third essay of the genealogy and he tries to understand its origin uh, how this ascetic idealism emerges, under what conditions, and uh, it becomes a powerful force, and then it stamps itself into culture. It becomes a, a big part of culture. Uh, Nietzsche sees it not only in religion. Again, that's why God doesn't mean just religion uh, in a symbolic sense. He sees it in arts. Gives, in fact, he gives examples. Wagner is this scum to ascetic idealism. Uh, sciences, he sees... Uh, aesthetic idealism and, and sciences as well, uh, so all all of that.
0: And so when, when we are now in this godless world, what Nietzsche is saying that God is dead, and and then there is the possibility that life is meaningless, or at least these beliefs and values that used to give people the framework and structure for their life is gone. But Nietzsche doesn't end up in despair, but he ends up affirming life. So so what is what are these new types of meaning that he's putting forth?
1: Yeah, no, no, that's uh, really, that's another big, big question. Um, yeah, you you put it well. A God is dead means that means the old values are no longer valid, and we need to recreate values. So, and God is that okay, the, 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 it gave meaning to people's lives. Uh, now there's no, that meaning is no longer valid, but that doesn't mean that there are no meanings. So now, We have to create our own meanings. Um, Human beings have different inclination archetypes. Another thing that I didn't mention is that Nietzsche is a multiplicity thinker. He recognizes that life itself is diverse and so is human life. Uh, We have a diversity, multiplicity of types, archetypes, inclinations. Uh, I may have this or that inclination, but the, the, according to who I am, how I was born with, what I my physical and other capabilities, then the important thing is to channel those, to channel my, to understand myself and to channel them into some passion or meaning that create meaning. Uh, I could be mm-hmm. an athlete, I could have sports skills, then I could channel them into that, or I could be more, and I don't know, the intellectual type. I could give myself to scholar research. Uh, you could be a dancer. <clears throat> you could be, you know, uh, give yourself to that. Uh, the crucial thing is, yes, to find uh, your own meaning, uh, to give yourself to that, to be passionate about your meaning, and to excel, to recreate yourself, to reinvent yourself. Uh, that would be, Uh, Okay, let me drop a footnote here. Uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, could appeal, uh, could be read by, uh, to put it simplistically, two kinds of, two types of people, uh, two types of readers. One would be just any human being who wants to recreate himself or herself, like us, right? The other type would be those the very few. Those are the makers of culture, like these great artists, uh, philosophers. You know who give shape to their their culture. So that okay, that will be very few, not many, could do that. So that those are the so-called artists, philosophers. But then, for all of all of us, the rest of us, yeah, we can uh, read Nietzsche or read anything in Nietzsche, and then uh, take anything we like. But then follow our own passions, uh, create our own meanings for our own lives according to our own inclinations our own talents, our own bodily constitution, and all of that. So, yeah, uh, uh, despair, uh, Nietzsche himself didn't fall into despair. Uh, That would be a sign of pessimism. Uh, Nietzsche had subscribed to pessimism in his early years uh, under the influence of Schopenhauer, but he did see the contradiction in pessimism, uh, namely that we are living beings. We are in life. We live. Uh, uh living so basically uh all living beings strive to live right they they live so we are also living beings uh and ultimate animal beings uh so all of all of that uh, which means that uh, no need to fall into despair but i mean we could fall into despair there are we must also affirm life in the face of suffering i mean that's one of the biggest teachings of Nietzsche that that uh, yeah that we even in the birth of tragedy uh, he was not really a fully pessimist that that uh, the greek tragedy teaches us that uh, there is suffering in life in human life we can stay, accept it stage it but still uh, affirm suffering and live go, go past it and live fully right uh, so uh, that's this teaching uh, the, uh, i know it's easier said than done uh, we may be fortunate that right now we are talking, we're having this dialogue uh, because we are not in deep suffering, but then there may be human beings who are in deep suffering for different reasons and they may not be able to, you know, uh, follow their own passions. But nonetheless, and Nietzsche also had many sufferings, by the way, many physical ailments, more than, definitely more than me. I mean, I I don't have much anyway, but he was suffering since he was uh, in his teenagers, teenage years, and still, you know, he could uh, write. He had the passion to write whenever he could. So that itself an example. Hmm.
0: What would Nietzsche think about self-inflicted suffering? I'm I'm just thinking about ultra marathons and all these kind of excessive sporting feats that a lot of people are doing these days so so would he see some value in that i
1: think so yeah i think to mm. force yourself to your limits uh to take on those kind of sufferings uh, that would uh, also enhance you uh yes but then if you're talking about some senseless uh, self-inflictions uh, with i don't know uh, like you know, some, you know, flagellations that some religious people do. Uh, I, I don't know what he would say to that. Uh, he, he didn't do the, He didn't subscribe. Nietzsche didn't... Uh, well, look, he, wasn't, he was not an athlete, so he was a writer, uh, thinker. Uh, I think he took uh, risks or he forced himself in both writing, expressing himself, and also with the thinking. Uh, but I think he would uh, ex- definitely he would accept those things where you force your limits, you experiment, uh, you take risks. Mm-hmm. But the other kinds of uh, senseless—I mean, uh, you know—self-inflicted forms of sufferings that have that I don't, know, don't do much or that could be misused. What the seats were doing—they were you know, walk on fire so that they can impress people and then uh, control them. Uh, definitely not. Not those kinds of self-inflicted sufferings.
0: Hmm. So I guess there is a right attitude to suffering. So if you want to run an ultra marathon just to impress your friends, I guess you won't impress Nietzsche with that. Yeah.
1: I, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what is what is the right kind of attitude to suffering for for an athlete?
1: To to take on a suffering that will. Uh, enhance them, that will push them to higher levels, and uh, in, even competition, forget about even marathon, in competition, uh, athletes always take on a lot of suffering, I mean it's the competing against a strong opponent, that is, I'm sure that they are burdened with anxiety, that's also a form of suffering, and uh, they struggle more. Uh, Yeah, those sufferings that actually uh, push us forward. But then, the kinds of sufferings that we should not take on are the ones that would make us bitter, hostile, reactive, revengeful. Uh, Those kinds of sufferings definitely we we should not. If they come to us, if we have no choice, okay, that's something else. But those kinds of sufferings uh, we definitely should avoid because they'll make us uh, hostile to life and uh that is not yeah that is not the way to go the hostility the bitterness right mm-hmm. um but yeah as much as we can um hmm. but sometimes we may not know, you know how much suffering we can take you know there are some gray areas right uh, and that could be very risky
0: yeah so i think we talked about suffering we talked about limits and and kind of these Aspects what Nietzsche would probably see as positive things in our sport culture. What right. what else in sport would Nietzsche see life affirming or contributing to a meaningful life in a godless world?
1: Well, we of uh, we become more in touch with our body. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say it's a bodily thing, uh, and yeah, body is the le- least understood, repressed for about a millennia. Uh, second. Uh, in sports uh, m- well not all sports but many sports are group games so we play with others or teammates and all that so there's a lot of modulation emotions so it in fact I argue for that in my in my book emotion sports uh, it's uh, sport gives us a chance to to work on our emotions uh, but, you know if you don't play sports uh, especially a competitive game you're not going to feel, you these uh, ambition and uh, you know, hostility and all you know, all these feelings you know come out. Anxiety, right? What if I lose? All these you know feelings come out more, uh, sort of more so, more prominently in sports. So in a way, sport gives us the chance to uh, to work on our emotions. Uh, number three, okay, we are all okay. This is Nietzsche's, I believe it's Nietzsche's thesis, and I agree with them. <laughs> we are all destructive, cruel beings. There's cruelty in all of us, even in babies, okay? Uh, You could argue against me, fine, but we are all cruel beings. Uh, Sports is a way, this doesn't mean that we should be cruel out of context, but we need to deal with our destructive, cruel potential. So sport gives us a a forum, a channel, an arena to um, to uh, externalize, to express our cruelty uh, among equals, right? If I'm a boxer, I'm... (laughs) Hey, be cruel to your opponent, and he's gonna knock you down anyway. So you know you're gonna fight. You cannot be basically. You cannot be too cruel to your opponent in boxing, so because he's also strong. So basically, you know, get it out, uh, get it out, and sport. All some sports are more violent than others, but I'm all the all. I'm for I'm for the so-called violent sports. It's among equals, and. And yeah, so that would be, uh, I lost track, that was the third, I said, the third uh, uh, thing about it, uh, what Nietzsche called Transfiguration. The term Nietzsche uses, uh, it appears in Nietzsche's scholarship, but I'm not sure if there's a, a, a single book on the topic, Transfiguration. Uh, fourth, socialization, we are social beings. Uh, I think Nietzsche would accept that, Uh and sport gives us a way of learning how to be social, <clears throat> how to, you know, negotiate our needs, our desires, so to speak. Another fifth, you know, I am as I as I'm saying this, you know, they're all coming to me spontaneously. Uh, judgment, right. justice. I mean uh, the, you know, okay, not the athletes, but the, the referees, umpires, uh, but it is an arena of uh, justice as well. Maybe it connects with being social. Uh, you know, how to, how to be just to your, to even to your opponent. Uh, and then, of course, you have the referees who oversee that. And it's a, a sport is a very special arena uh, for exercising judgment. And you have to be fair and all that, which is not easy. Not everyone can be a good judge in sports. Um, and... Uh, uh, what else? Uh, look the number, the point number one is a big one. I mean, you, that could be opened up further. The, the body, you know, there are mm-hmm. drives and instincts, the physiology, uh, you know, the, the more modern skills, the, all of that. So, um, so anyway, so mm-hmm. five, uh, five of the, those. But I'm sure there are more, more things. Uh, the sport is spectacle. You know, how can we be? and active spectators in in sports, mm. uh, you know. I guess if you have a sporting culture, <laughs> you probably would have a different uh, kind of spectatorship, uh, whereas everyone plays at some level, so then everybody is some kind of player uh, or player in a sport uh, rather than just a you know, passive spectator. I think that would be that would mm. change the the. Uh, the the whole spectacular relations I think drastically uh anyway some mm. some point
0: so you're saying on one on one hand nietzsche is kind of favorable to this kind of spec uh, spectacle and when people come together but then at the same time he would be highly critical of being a passive receiver as as a spectator who who is not actively involved yeah. so Would Nietzsche prefer that we just all played sport to our better or worse level? Or Uh, what kind of sporting culture would he be setting up?
1: Yeah, I I would say so. That there is some kind of a sporting culture. Uh, Although, I mean, he doesn't really speak about this. But I would think that he would support a sporting culture that we play at different levels. Uh, And um, uh, and, yeah, there would be, of course, a higher level as well and the lower levels uh, will not begrudge to higher levels but rather maybe we'll look up to them but still they would be players and yeah so basically you have a whole uh, culture of sports not just sports bodily I mean uh, different you know kinds of bodily exercise like dance uh, but then you know we would yeah we would play at different levels and the, the uh, the, the, you know, the diff- one difficulty in human life is envy, right? The the lower levels, if the lower levels envy, they, they resent the higher level. The athletes and high level athletes somehow become hubristic and arrogant, and that's where <clears throat> problems could start from an Nietzschean standpoint. Mm-hmm. So then, what would happen is, in fact, what he sees happening. In, in our civilization, the whole thing about resentment, like the, those who don't have, uh, they envy those who have. Uh, that's like revengefulness, and then they uh, get rid of, they topple uh, the ruling uh, order. Uh, that's what he sees in the rise of Christianity. That's, of course, the bigger picture, but you could have the same thing in sports.
0: Would you talk about resentment if we are talking about cheating and? doping in sports and all yeah. all these yeah. negative phenomena that we are so often hearing of.
1: Yeah, exactly. So mm. the those <clears throat> those who don't really deserve to be champion or winners, they could become winners through some other schemes. Uh, it's because they're resentful, they envy, and, uh, and they would rather be, they would win at all costs. Uh, I saw, I see that as sign of nihilism very nihilistic winning mm. at all costs uh, when you don't really deserve it uh, that those things happen in sports and maybe yeah that's another problem the, the, the cheating mm. cheating in sports uh, I'm not you know categorically opposed to uh, performance enhancement drugs I'm opposed to the abuse of them yes uh, but you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what if, you know, if all well, athletes are able to take the same kind of PEDs, uh, then they would be at the same level, right? The whole idea is for athletes to be more or less equal and no one takes an advantage out of context when the other ones don't have that advantage, right? So as long as you could maintain mm-hmm. that, as long as let's say, I don't know it's not possible, but hypothetically speaking, all athletes in a game, they took the same PED, right? So that they, they are at the same level. Mm-hmm. No problem with that. But now when PEDs are illegal, and then some athletes take those and they give them an advantage, and of course, depending on the kind of sport, in some sports, it matters more than others. In swimming, for instance, you know, where winners win by a million, million, million seconds, right? It could matter. And uh, they, yeah. they take them and then they have an the advantage and... Yeah, basically, but they didn't really deserve it because they did not uh, fight uh, under the same conditions. So uh, I think nature would be opposed to these kind of abuses. It's, you know, cheating or you know, becoming a winner by cheating. No, no way. All over, over humans uh, don't cheat to be that. That means you are. That means you are not really over human. I mean, you are, you are not really a champion. You're a fake champion. Mm. So I I don't think you can be. Overhuman, or or anything over, by cheating or by doing these kinds of you know, behind the scene things, and uh, yeah, you just have to be strong, uh, pure and simple, and win with uh, the things that you have, uh, rather than the things that you don't have.
0: Yeah. So let's stop there and let's let's take the concept of overhuman, which is very central to Nietzsche's thought. Uh, what is an overhuman for Nietzsche and how do you become an overhuman in sports?
1: <laughs> wow, that's, a, <laughs> that's a tough one. Okay. The second one, I guess, is tougher, more difficult than the first one. But, yes, uh,
0: let's start so, with the
1: easier one. Okay, okay, let's, okay, the overhuman, it appears in *Thus uh, Spoksa-Tusra. I mean, but the similar ideas that appeared in Nietzsche before, uh, so, over humans are the higher types, or if you will, the highest. The highest types in human history or human culture. It is hierarchical. Yes, there are higher types. So, let's, Nietzsche is a hierarchical thinker, uh, but the hierarchy doesn't mean that it's a repressive type of hierarchy. Right? But on the contrary, it's a more life affirming hierarchy, I would argue. So. Uh, how okay? The over overhuman is a type who affirms life, who affirms this life on Earth. Uh, there's nothing afterworldly. There's nothing beyond this life. So it's affirmation of uh, life on Earth, the the human body. Um, it is always on the way to becoming, overcoming. So the overhuman is not really some kind of final stop, but it's an ongoing process. Uh, and the overhumans uh, are, are aware of uh, their distance to uh, to what they have overcome so there's the whole thing about the contempt uh, nature for the the lower uh, types so the whole you know typology in that book right and overhuman is on top of that typology so the overhuman uh, i would say all right in terms of our uh, usual categories the overhuman stands for hero God, even gods, right? God is dead, long lived over human. Nietzsche says that. I paraphrase that. So, which means that over human kind of is a replacement of God because God was highest being up to that point. Um, so, now since over humans are human beings, they're not gods. So, what kinds of human beings are they? <clears throat> uh, Nietzsche, prior to uh well in his early works prior to the gay science uh, Nietzsche was obsessed with the idea of genius right okay the genius very romantic notion as well all right so what happened to the genius or the genius or the hero heroism all these ideas about the genius and the hero they crystallize into overhuman right uh they symbolize mm-hmm. all these higher qualities so we there are lots of questions, okay, at the basic level, okay, we have some understanding of what Nietzsche means by the overhuman, but when you get into the details there, hell breaks loose, we have so many disagreements so, number one, Mm -hmm. is overhuman a historic figure, can we say, all right, such and such person is overhuman most likely, other I would say yes, otherwise it doesn't make sense, Nietzsche is not an idealist he attacked Plato all his life it, the old human is not uh-huh. something kind of ideal that doesn't exist it must exist historically that's my reading in fact some examples nature gives throughout his writings like da vinci leonardo da vinci appears historic figure uh napoleon i don't know for what reason but anyway napoleon also appears perhaps goethe people uh-huh. like so yeah, basically if you exclude napoleon uh they would be more the artistic philosophical types and that that to me makes more sense. But what about the religious figures? Would Christ or a Luther, someone who shaped the culture in their historic point, are they also be the overhumans? I would say yes, relative to their culture. Not not for Nietzsche's own vision, he wouldn't want to have a Luther to be the overhuman now. <laughs> but was lutheran overhuman at the time maybe i don't know i am i'm just putting the question i'm not sure but i suspect that people who impact their culture and change it at a given historic moment they are overhumans relative to their own society and culture anyway i'm saying this parenthetically
0: yeah yeah so stopping here could we say that an athlete who Somehow, kind of produces a massive change in their own sport. Would that be an overhuman?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say in, yes
0: in that context.
1: Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say yes. I was actually coming to that. The third question would be: Are there could there be different overhumans in different fields of culture in the same culture, including like arts, philosophy, sports? I would say yes. That uh, those athletes. Uh, not only who excel in their own field, but who have some kind of vision and change and they throw, they they practice a higher level and have a positive impact uh, could be seen to be over humans. But I would say that with caution because I'm sure uh, many uh, Nietzsche scholars wouldn't uh, agree with me, wouldn't accept that an athlete could be over humans. They would, they would stick to only artist philosophers. Uh, I, I think that's my take on uh, you know what I read from the Nietzsche scholars. Uh, many of them even don't come close to sports or sports philosophy, none of that. Of course, there are a few exceptions, <clears throat> but um, they, they don't see how and why an athlete uh, could uh, be of uh, an excellent uh, example for... Uh, for uh, the, the geist, spirit, culture. Uh, uh-huh. I, I would say they could be. I, I disagree with them. They could be on rare occasions.
0: Right. And do you have any athlete in mind who might be a candidate for that?
1: I have a living one who may be close. I, I, I look, it's very hard to call. I, I, I do have. I have some. I mean, I, but the, the other, okay, before I say it, uh, could living beings be overhumanly at the time? Uh, that's another the last question. Could we say, all right, this human being who's still alive could that could that, be, could that do we have to wait for someone to die before we say they're overhumans? Anyway, uh, having having said that, uh, okay, the, some uh, exemplary models that, that come to my mind, and I, I'm not sure if you could call them overhumans, but uh, Pele, who's still living. Mm-hmm. could be yeah uh, it was a very international figure who changed the uh who i think elevated the the, the game of soccer uh, uh, i yeah uh, i'm sure there are others as well uh, but we have to i guess exercise uh some caution uh in uh, who and who we call over humans
0: so if i if I got you right, then right. it's not enough just to be the best in your sport, but you have to be actually creating some something new and creating a culture change or something. Yeah, kind of having a broader impact on how how the sport is played and how it's yeah. thought of.
1: Yeah, I, I gave Pele as an example. I mean, he's kind of cosmopolitan. He changed, he elevated the the, the, the game of soccer football, and uh, uh, and he had some vision, but uh, you know it's the, the, but I am also cautious in uh, you know giving examples from living figures. I'm not sure if you can do that. Um, I, mm-hmm. I would give examples from philosophers and artists uh, easily, more easily than in sports mm-hmm. uh, because then you know we, we would have to investigate uh, the, not only the fact that they are excellent athletes but their impact on sporting culture. Um, and that could uh, need more and more work. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that's that's an interesting discussion, and and we can always debate about uh, possible overhumans in sport. Yeah. So let's finish up with what's next for you. What what are you working on at the moment, and what kind of new ideas so about Nietzsche and sport are we going to read from you in, in the future?
1: <laughs> that's a good question. Look, uh, okay, let's start on Nietzsche and sports, and I'll tell you about my other projects. Uh, <clears throat> I hope to, not just by myself, maybe with other uh, Nietzsche scholars, write a book on uh, Nietzsche and sports, maybe an anthology, produce an anthology. Uh, that's still missing, as far as I know. It could be really investigated in different ways. Uh, so my chapter is just you know, a very short chapter. It's sort of is the tip of the iceberg. Even a play plays a big thing, as we said earlier. You, you said it uh, in Nietzsche, and uh-huh. so yeah, so that is, but nothing is happening in that area yet. <clears throat> right now, I'm working on uh, Nietzsche on human emotions, Nietzsche has a lot of things to say. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, the other thing that I'm working on is an uh, uh, anthology on uh, Nietzsche and music uh, with uh, some 20 other. Uh, scholars and musicians and musicologists. So it, I think it will be a unique anthology because we have many musicians who are going to contribute. So hope we are in the stage of uh, early stages. Uh, we just submit our proposal. Uh, so hopefully, you know, uh, that will happen maybe in a at least a year, a little bit more than a year and a half. Hopefully, we'll see the mm-hmm. we'll see the output. And uh, uh, well, you know, we publish our journal, as you mentioned, the Agonist. Uh, that's on. Uh, by the way, that's on Nietzsche in Sports. Uh, that is coming out uh, hopefully in September or maybe uh, the latest October. Uh, our uh, listeners can go to the Nietzsche Circle website and just click on the Agonist, and they will. Right now, they will see the. Uh, this issue, the current issue, but then in hopefully by October, they'll see Nietzsche in sports. Uh, I do have an article there, it's it's a little bit, it's not exactly about sporting culture, very specific, it's Nietzsche and archery. So basically uh, Nietzsche's use of uh, archery symbolism in his writings, it appears a lot. So I sort of explored it, but it's not really archery, it's only a sports. Because it's also used in warfare, but I do bring it to sports as well. So that's uh, that's in the works, and uh, yeah. So that those are you know um, those are the main things, and hopefully, we will revitalize our travel uh, plans. And uh, once the once the pandemic is over,
0: that's that's a lot to look forward to, and especially I look forward to reading. Reading the special issue on yeah. Nietzsche and sports. So yes. I'm I'm sure that will extend on, on most of the a lot of topics that we discussed as well today.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were several art- several articles in the, the journal. Yeah, definitely. There will be interesting articles. I believe seven articles on Nietzsche and sports.
0: So that that will be something to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so maybe some closing words. Sure. To our listeners, sure, what would be take-home messages from today?
1: Well, look, uh, if you are interested in sports and reading sort of uh, philosophical literature on sports, <clears throat> of course, different philosophers. But in Nietzsche, the areas to focus on would be what I, we mentioned earlier, the Apollonian Dionysian, but uh, playfulness. Uh, we also talked about that, but we didn't discuss it in depth, uh, his idea on playfulness. His ideas on competition, I have a book for that, Agon and Nietzsche, if you are interested in the dynamics of competition, Olympic tradition, Olympism, then uh, Nietzsche's ideas on the body, you know, what the body is, why we have uh, understood it only poorly so far. Uh, and uh, and in terms of the other ideas, like overhuman, his ideas on time, eternal return, uh, they would need a little bit more uh, time and commitment. Uh, to read, but they're also uh, very, very interesting ideas. So yeah, there are many ideas. And also the spectacle, spectator, also, although Nietzsche's focused on arts, uh, you could apply his ideas on arts, artistic spectacles like theater, to sports as well. Uh, I also I have done that in some other works. So yeah, all, all of these, um, uh, you, you could take many, many ideas uh, from Nietzsche's writings, uh, he, I mean, he was not an athlete, as far as we know. He, he did hiking in places where we were, in, in, the, in the Alps. Uh, but uh, he, I, as I said earlier, he would have supported sporting culture uh, based on his own the, the values that he promotes.
0: Yeah, I think that's really a wonderful summary of, of the topics that we've covered. So thanks so much for taking the time to share your share your work and I think there are so many ideas that hopefully we will see others engaging with that and and we will see that in the future
1: I I think I thank you as well you are welcome and I thank you it's always a pleasure uh, to talk on uh, topics that you know that are close to us so uh, it's it's great Uh, excellent thank you very much